welcome to the Field Log Podcast, weekly reflections for the Warrior King to help you master yourself, fulfill your purpose, and conquer the day. I'm your host, Marcian Sicario. Field Log, Day 81. Christ is risen. Now, as I'm sure you've noticed, the Field Logs this week have been, let's say, sporadic. I missed two Field Logs in one week. Now we're on day 81 now, and before this week, I'd only missed one total. Usually my process is trying to have at least a week's worth recorded ahead of time, so that when something comes up, that I can, you know, not miss an episode. Well, I lost that buffer, I want to say a month, maybe two months ago, and I've been living on increment. If you are familiar with that phrase, it comes from chess. Living on increment for a minute, and this past week I was traveling for business, and unfortunately, did not have the ability to record it all, and I'd only had three episodes recorded. Now, of course, the goal is for me to do better, to be better, to make sure that these episodes are reliable for you men, that you can have them first thing in the morning, Monday through Saturday, and I'm going to try to recommit myself to that as best as I can. That being said, there's no point in dwelling on the past, and it is currently 4.28 in the morning when I'm recording this. Because I couldn't sleep, and I figured, why lay there tossing and turning when I could just get some work done? So we're going to record this episode early. I'm going to push this out, and of course, I'll record a couple of episodes after this one, get those edited, and make sure that there is a bit of a buffer. Now, with all of that out of the way, today's episode is titled, Christ is Risen. And this is going to be a little different than the way field logs usually go, right? Usually, there's some sort of topic, something that I find useful or interesting, and I'm not saying that today's episode won't be useful or interesting, but rather practical things, you know, how to be a man, what to do, finance-related things, exercise-related things, discipline, theology, those kinds of things. But today is Saturday, April 15th, I had to double-check, April 15th, and tonight is going to be the Paschal Divine Liturgy, right? Pascha. For those of you unaware, Pascha is what... Protestants and Catholics call Easter. Now, the interesting thing is, a lot of times when you explain it to people, you have to say Orthodox Easter to get them to understand what exactly this holiday is. But the reality is that the name Easter comes from a pagan holiday. I think it's Yostra or something along those lines is how it's pronounced. And I want to say the Germanic languages, which is where that pagan festival existed in the Germanic cultures, are the only ones that call Pascha Easter. Every other language, you know, what is it in Spanish? What is it in French? What is it in Italian? What's it in Russian? Greek, right? It's always Pascha or some sort of derivative of that word, which comes from the Hebrew word for Passover, I believe, or maybe the, the Greek translation, something along those lines. But Pascha, long story short, is the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord. And I'm sure I don't have to say this again, but I will just in case. If you are listening to this podcast, if you subscribe to the Warrior King Ethos, you are a Christian. You are a Christian man, preferably Orthodox, but at the very least, a Trinitarian Christian. You cannot serve yourself, God's purpose, the people in your life, if you do not commit your life to the Lord. Now, I remember when I was planning or writing down, you know, field log topics and organizing them a little bit. Uh, I want to say maybe a month, a month and a half ago, something along those lines. And I, w I came across, you know, the day for Pascha. And I thought, 
I really think that we should do a Pascha-themed episode. And while I don't have any particular takeaways or strategies for you today, probably, I just want to kind of talk about and, 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 and reflect on the mystery of Pascha. And of course, as usual, since this is a theological topic, please, 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 Remember that I'm not a priest, I'm not a theologian, I'm no one's spiritual father. If I say anything that sounds weird, or just in case, honestly, go check this stuff with your spiritual father. But I, I think that we should, you know, dwell on this today. And tomorrow, of course, when Pascha actually is happening. But we don't do episodes on Sundays, obviously. I don't think that this is a day to worry about how much you're benching. I don't think that this is a day to think about your bottom line or your net worth or your annual income. I don't think this is a day for that. I think this is a day to completely think about God and Christ and his resurrection because this is the Feast of Feasts. There's a number of feasts that Christians, especially Orthodox Christians, celebrate. We celebrate the Nativity of our Lord, right? What some people call Christmas. We celebrate... The Annunciation, when the Archangel Gabriel came to the Theotokos and told her that she would carry the Son of God in her. We celebrate the baptism of our Lord. We celebrate the Transfiguration, when he was on the mountain and started glowing with the uncreated light, the divine light. But there is no feast like Pascha for a very particular reason. And my priest always says this, I remember this from Catechism, that time... And space and the universe, everything revolves around the event of the crucifixion. It happened both in time and outside of time, right? It happened 2,000 years ago, right? Almost exactly 2,000 years ago at this point, I think. I, mean, I want to say AD 33, right? Because our Lord was crucified at the age of 33, and it's now 2023. So in 10 years from now, I guess it'll be the 2,000th anniversary of Pascha. So it happened in time, right? The God, the Word, the second person of the Trinity, became incarnate and, and decided to take the burden of our sins upon himself. Right? And there's many different ways that you can consider this, think about this, interpret this. But one of the most powerful ways to think about the crucifixion, I find, is this quote from, it's one of the saints, and as usual, I unfortunately don't remember who it was, but this quote that God became man so that man might become God. And this is an idea that's going to rub a lot of Western Christians the wrong way. This is something that's been lost in the West. It's called theosis, right? From theos, meaning God in Greek, and is, I guess, probably to be or to become, something along those lines. It means to become God. That is the goal of the Christian life. I used to listen to this podcast called Catholic Stuff You Should Know when I was still Catholic. And there was a Byzantine Catholic, right? Um, I put that in quotes, right? This is basically a man who, his, his liturgy is Orthodox, he commemorates Orthodox saints, but his church is officially Uniate, right? They swear allegiance to the Pope. Of course, their theologies are completely different, but uh, that doesn't seem to bother anyone very much. That being said, there were two Catholic priests on this podcast. One of them was Western, right? You know, just your classic Roman Catholic. And the other... The other one was Byzantine Catholic, and he was explaining the concept of theosis. He was saying, you know, let there be no mistake that the Christian life is about becoming divine, right? The goal of our life is to acquire God's qualities so that ultimately, through his grace, we will become indistinguishable from him, right? And a metaphor that I always like to use to help me understand this is if you have a fire, 
The fire has a certain substance, right? If you know anything about chemistry, you'll know that fire is made from plasma. There are four states of matter, liquid, solid, gas, and plasma. And fire is plasma. Now it glows and it's warm, right? It has these qualities. And then you could take another substance, like, for example, a block of iron, right? A little piece of iron. The iron is nothing like the fire. It's cold, it's solid, it doesn't glow. But you could conceivably take that piece of iron and put it into the fire. And at first, that would be very uncomfortable for the iron if it had feelings. But over time, the qualities of the fire would rub off on the iron, right? The fire would heat the iron, and if kept long enough in the fire, the iron would start to glow, it would start to give off heat, just like fire. But the substance of the iron is unchanged. So functionally, it is exactly like fire. It does everything fire does. It can heat your house, it can cook your food, it can do everything. But the substance is still the same. And I think that's probably what theosis is like. Is that God has a certain substance. God has a certain what we call essence in orthodoxy. And then he has energies, right? In, in the Greek, energeia. They're his actions. They are his the things that he does, the things by which we know him. And the essence-energies distinction is a huge theological point that I believe proves orthodoxy over all other metaphysical theological systems. Well, our goal as Christians is to be in the fire that is God. We are iron. We're cold. We're dead. We don't glow. We don't give off heat. We're not life-giving. And then we acquire God's qualities through his grace. So that saint who's, who, who said that quote, and I think it might have been Saint Simeon, the theologian, but please don't quote me on that, is that God became man so that man might become God. That's actually the point, right? A lot of Western Christians think that, that Christ was only crucified as, as sort of a punishment for all of the sins that we're committing all the time and God being a just God, well, he has to punish somebody. So God decides, I will take the punishment on myself because I am perfect, so I don't have any punishment coming my way for my own sins because I have none. So I can take on the punishment for everyone else. Now, in orthodoxy, we do say that Christ died for our sins. That is absolutely true. That being said, the incarnation and the crucifixion, which was ultimately what the incarnation was leading up to, was so that Christ could die on the cross, enter death, and destroy death by death. That's the phrase we use. Destroy death by death. And if you're a Western Christian, all of this theology is going to sound very strange to you. I understand that. But the more you think about it, the more it starts to make sense. This is the goal of Christian life. And of course, if you're a Protestant, this will make no sense to you because Protestants, many Protestants, at least not all of them, but many Protestants believe in absolute depravity, right? Man can never be good. That's why they don't have saints. Is that there's nothing that man can ever do to be good. As Orthodox Christians, we don't believe that, right? Man is inherently good at his core, which what is the core of man? I say this all the time, the image of God right? That is what's at your core, your soul, the image of God, what God breathed into you in the, in the book of Genesis. And we're getting into some really deep theology here. And I'm, I hope I'm, the, I'm not saying anything wrong. That being said, if you're Orthodox, you believe that man is inherently good, fallen, but good. And it's our goal through prayer, through repentance, through asceticism, through self-denial, to, through giving up the passions, and through God's grace, of course, and mercy, to acquire his qualities and become more like him. That's why we have saints, right? We don't pray to saints. People say this all the time. You're praying to saints. We don't pray to saints. We venerate saints because they are one of the conduits by which God's 
love expresses itself in the world, right? The saints have acquired holiness. They have acquired the qualities of God, and that is something worth venerating, right? If you have an elder in your community, maybe someone who's 70, 80 years old, some, you know, maybe your grandfather, a patriarch of some sort, his wisdom is something worth venerating, right? You might go up and you might, in some cultures, for example, in, in Turkish culture, for example, you kiss the hand of your elder, right? It's a sign of respect. Or when you greet a priest, you're kissing his right hand. It's a sign of respect. I've also heard it said that you're kissing the right hand because it's essentially the hand of Christ because he's acting in the person of Christ, right? When he does his priestly duties. That being said, that is the goal of Christian life. And that's why the crucifixion, not Christmas, right? Not the nativity, but the crucifixion is the feast of feasts. That's why this is the biggest event in the Christian annual calendar. It has to be. Right? There are so many Christians out there who celebrate Christmas way bigger than what they call Easter. right? Way bigger than the crucifixion. You can't do that. right? The crucifixion and the resurrection, of course, I should say. The resurrection. It's the resurrection that gives us life. right? Christ was only born to be crucified. This was not a plan B. My priest always says this. This was not plan B. This was plan A. From the very beginning... God foresaw the fall of man and foresaw the redemptive action of his incarnation, right? He knew this. He knew that one day he would come down, be incarnated, live, teach, be crucified, and be resurrected, right? This is also one of the answers that you can give when people say, well, what about all the people who died before Jesus was born? Are they saved? Can they be saved? Well, the answer is yes, because when Christ was crucified and died, he entered Hades, right, the underworld, and he preached the gospel to the souls in the underworld, and they were given the choice. I believe they were given the choice to accept the gospel and and come up to, to heaven with him. I think I may have also heard somewhere that all of them were saved. I'm not exactly sure. Please double check that with your priest. But that's the point. That was the whole point. If you look at an Orthodox icon of the nativity, right, of Christ's birth, if you look at the manger, the artists often style it as a coffin, right? It's a little baby, a little small little man, right? That's how he's always drawn. In a coffin. Why is that? Well, my priest always says that that's because he was born with the end of death, right? He was born so that he could die on the cross. The cross was not plan B. It was plan A. It's not a bailout plan. So while the crucifixion is a terribly sad event, and there is a, a gorgeous, gorgeous Orthodox service during Lent where if you have a big icon of the cross, and we have one, right? It is an actual cross. I want to say three or four feet probably. And there is an icon of Christ mounted to that cross that can be detached. And we, we attach that part of the icon to the cross because we, with all of our sins, are nailing Christ to the cross. And I've seen, I've obviously been at this service before and it's absolutely gut-wrenching, right? To really see the physical action of your priest, you know, pushing the little pins in that represent the nails and putting Christ onto the cross. And I've, I've seen my priest cry while he was doing this, right? Just being hit by the, by the deep sorrow of understanding that every time you sin, every time you let God down, this is what you're doing. It's, it's heartbreaking. But at the end of the day, when everything is said and done, there is the joy of the feast. Christ is risen. 
Orthodox Christians, we have different greetings for different times of the year, different feasts. If you meet an Orthodox Christian in the street, usually the greeting would be glory to Jesus Christ. And the response is glory forever. Now, there's plenty of Orthodox Christians in America who don't know that anymore. And it's a real tragedy, especially the uh, Greek Orthodox. In America, you greet them with glory to Jesus Christ. You hear things like, yeah. And it's, it's really sad that they don't know that anymore. But if you meet someone who's aware of that tradition, glory to Jesus Christ, the answer is glory forever. On Christmas, on, on the nativity, it's Christ is born. Right? And I think the response is glorify him. And on Pascha, the greeting is Christ is risen. Because he is. It's an eternal reality. And the response is, indeed, he's risen. Right? What a beautiful sentiment. But that's, that's Pascha. That's today. That's tonight. If you're listening to this in the morning, which will be a couple of hours from now, right? After I finish recording this, I'm going to publish it. If you're listening to it in the morning, if you're listening to it as it comes out, Remember, that's what today is about, this anticipation. We're so close. We're so close to Pascha. Remember that today and everything that you do, that Christ is about to be risen. It's, it's, it's about to happen again, right? It's an eternal event. It happened in time, but it's happening eternally outside of time. There's a story that you hear about Saint Seraphim of Saraf, who is a very recent saint out of Russia, a very holy saint. I mean, they're all holy, but he was exceptionally just meek and, and wonderful. Read about him. He's Got some great stories, really. And he was so consumed by the reality of the resurrection that all year around, he would greet people with Christ is risen. Because the resurrection was for him always, always happening, always present. Now, I don't recommend that you do this, right? He's a saint and he can really do whatever he wants. But for us, it's, it's, it's best to, to stick to the you know, the prescribed traditions of the church. That being said, that was how deeply he was mired in that reality that Christ is risen. And that's what we're about to experience again. And it's, it's a fantastic, fantastic service, right? It starts around midnight. We have a little bit of, I think, chanting maybe for 30 minutes before it happens. I don't remember. It's been a year, right? And then we have a liturgy that goes on for two and a half hours. And at my church, we have, you know, we have a section where we read the gospel in different languages. You know, people who speak different languages will read certain passages. I, I'm going to read some of the gospel of John in German. And we have people reading in Ukrainian, in Russian, in Romanian, in Spanish, Italian, French, Portuguese. I mean, you name it. We have like a dozen languages to sort of get the point across that the gospel is universal. It's not one ethnic group, right? It belongs to all of us. The Lord said, preach the gospel to all the nations, that being said, to have your unique national identity and be able to read the gospel in that language and, and preach in that language is a beautiful thing. So we don't take that away. Not everyone has to learn Greek. But it's that, that's what it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a service that lasts for about three hours. And then at the very end, we sing Christ is risen from the dead. Right? I think it's at the very end. And then we've received communion, of course. And at the very end, after that, it's been Lent. We've been fasting from certain foods for a long time, right? Something close to 50 days, because Lent is 40 days. And then we have Holy Week and those kinds of things. So it's been a while. And then people are going to sit around for hours, just in the joy of the feast, enjoying the company of their brothers and sisters in Christ, eating meat, drinking spirits, liquor, wine, beer, and just really enjoying that. 
And if there's any takeaway for today, of course, it's everything we just talked about, but really it's enjoy that, right? Try to be as much as you can in the joy of the feast today. And I'll, I'll try to be as much in the joy of the feast as much as I can today as well. And then, you know, to try to take that, I suppose, beyond just today. To try to remember that everything that we're doing as men living the warrior king life, everything that we're doing, we're doing for this. We're doing it because God has called us to sacrifice ourselves, right? This is our example. It's to sacrifice ourselves for the people that we love. To work harder so that they have it easier. To bleed more so that they bleed less. To sweat more so they sweat less. So be grateful today, and I'm speaking to myself just as much as I'm speaking to you. Be grateful today for everything that God has given us, that God continues to give us. And try to emulate that example as best as you can. That's it. That's it for today. That's, that's what we're doing today. That's what we're thinking about today. And tomorrow, of course, on Pascha. So remember that. That whatever's happening, whatever's going on in your life right now, whatever might be bothering you, whatever you're upset about, worried about, praying about, remember that at all times, Christ is risen. That's it for this week's Field Log. If you like what you heard today, you can follow this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on right now. You can also rate the show. That always helps out a lot. You can find me on Instagram, threads, and TikTok at marcian.cx for field log snippets, art, philosophy, and training-related content. You can also visit the website at marcian.cx for much more of the same. I'm still working on consolidating the Warrior King content into the marcian.cx project. So check back at the website soon for the new and improved Warrior King training protocol, which is going to include supersets and my updated supplement recommendations. There's also a 2024 goal-setting guide on the way, and of course, the Warrior King newsletter. If any of that sounds appealing to you, the links to everything are in the show notes below. It's all free, and as always, conquer the day. <laughs>